All right, here we are. Yet another episode with Mary and Jonathan. Woo! <laughs> um, today we are talking about our composite chart. Mm-hmm. And this was super fun. I loved it. Uh, yes, I remember really loving it when we were recording it. Mm-hmm. This was super fun. Also, um, it's nice to kind of we recorded this a while back, maybe about a month ago or something like that. I don't know when this episode's really going to air, but um, mm-hmm. time is not linear, so it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And our chart is timeless also. And our chart is timeless. Um, and I think it's kind of interesting to be doing this exercise as two people who are interested in astrology, who do astrology, who study astrology deeply because... I think since then, would you say you agree with this, Mary, that we have learned even more about our dynamics and our interactions, and it always yes. is kind of anchored in our composite chart. I, I feel like there were moments when we continue to refer to what we were talking about in this conversation, in mm-hmm. other spaces and in other conversations that, um, yeah, that just goes to show how, you know, astrology keeps on giving it's the gift Mm -hmm. that keeps on giving (laughs) (laughs) at least to us (laughs) at least to us um yes I agree and I think it's been funny um now looking back on our cancer rising um and how that continues to make itself known particularly when we have a moment of like misunderstanding too when it's like totally oh (laughs) well we are cancer rising before it was like oh how cute and now we're like yep the claws are pinchy um fun way um so what else were we gonna say about this Mm. i will just say yeah go for it well i was just gonna add that i re-listened to this while i was doing the podcast art Oh, yeah. So I made a couple draw- drawings. Whoa, I have been in Maine way too long. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I made a couple things. Oh no. That is so funny. <laughs> you People make listening fun of are something. probably like, what the fuck is going on? If you make fun of something enough, it just becomes part of your vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So I I drew a couple things um, while I re-listened to us, and yeah. So that was that's that's how I did that. I don't know. There's mm-hmm. not much to say mm-hmm. about it, but that's what it was. Yeah, and one of them ended up becoming the podcast art. So I think that's worth mentioning too. Mm-hmm. 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 Yes. Um, what's gonna happen to the other one, Mary? Oh, uh, I don't know. Maybe there'll be some reason it comes out. Maybe it's like a full circle moment, mm. or if we ever have a beef episode, it's the thing that's getting burned for the cover art that will be like a moving picture, <laughs> the flames <laughs> engulfing it. We're not no. doing this podcast anymore. We hate each other now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a a breakup album um Mm. no we're not doing that sorry my scorpio seventh i'm so sorry jonathan why because i feel my scorpio seventh house trying to you know 
be all Scorpio seventh house. You mean like to like create drama where drama doesn't exist? Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> all right, we need to wrap this up <laughs> so people can listen to us continue to talk about us. <laughs> all right, here. Here we are. Here we go. This is us talking about our composite chart, our beloved composite chart. We love it. Mm Should we talk about our chart? I would love that. I feel like this is such a perfect segue because we have a Cancer Rising chart. Let me see. I'm still, you know, two years into Zoom. I'm still like, how do I do Zoom? Let me see. Okay, here we go. Ta-da! So this is our composite chart. This is our composite chart. And... I guess for those listening who are like, what the hell is a composite chart? Um, (laughs) Nobody who listens to us has a voice like that, Jonathan. (laughs) They're all like, tell me more. Tell me more. (laughs) Okay, yes. (laughs) I will tell you more. So basically, composite charts are like, if you take two people's birth charts, right? And then you calculate the midpoints for all of their points that's the composite chart or at least this version of the composite chart um so basically for example i am a four four degree virgo rising and what are you mary Um, know your degree for taurus rising uh, i think three three degrees so then somewhere in the middle between virgo and um taurus literally is cancer Right. So then our uh, cancer rising is four degrees cancer. So that's what a composite chart is. And I think, you know, poetically, it's like my one of my um, energy healing teacher, Deborah Kremens, always says that when two people meet, it's not that we are um, encroaching each other's energetic space, but we're collaborating to create a third being, right? Like energetically, uh, like that space that happens between us. So, so I think I think of the composite chart like that, right? Mm-hmm. I think of the composite chart not necessarily as like me personally or you personally, Mary, but like this space between us. What does it look like? Yes, you know. I love how you said that because I don't know if I've ever heard you heard you share that quote before but that is when we first started talking about our shared chart was like who is what is this being that gets created when mary and jonathan are together like Mm -hmm. who who's that what's that shared spirit and yes i'm really drawn to how we become these people with luminaries in the eighth and twelfth house (laughs) and that we have then a moon ruled chart right yes in the 12th house in gemini of course we're talking it's so fitting for our whole conversation we were just having 
it's almost as if we planned it. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost as if our creative spirit knew that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, okay, so how do you want to do this? I was feeling like maybe what we can do is like we can go like house by house. But do you think that's too like uh, pedantic? I think Should that's too just... Virgo. That's too um... Virgo. Okay, let's... let's... <laughs> Let's just vibe with this. <laughs> yeah, I think we should follow our cancer uh, rising and go where the feelings lead us, right? <laughs> okay, yes, let's do it. Let's go where the feelings lead us. I love how, you know, it's not just that we have cancer rising, but because you and I's chart, like both you and I have Jupiter in cancer. Am I correct about that? Yes. And we have Chiron in Cancer and they're in very, very close degrees because our birthdays are only like a month apart from each other. And I love how now all of that is in the first house. Mm -hmm. I feel like, like I can really feel that. Mm. I agree. It becomes so impossible to ignore. Not that it wouldn't have come up anyway, I think, just because of what we're naturally drawn to mm -hmm. explore, especially together. But that it becomes this, I don't, yeah, when I, when I think about what you and I originally kind of bonded over with like religious trauma or a lot of, you know, I just want to be a good kid type types of um, shared experiences in that, mm -hmm. even though you and I grew up in totally different cultures different languages but that's a universal experience in some ways i always say so and i think also like thinking about having upbringings that are very much rooted in like organized religion you know and what that's saying about like belonging as well because i think a lot of the attraction or the pull or the magnetism towards organized religion is this promise of belonging right mm -hmm. and i think that's a huge part of like what we are exploring together in our friendship mm -hmm. mm. that really brings me to us with our capricorn seventh house then yeah having that structure is a way to be in relationship mm. and find belonging yeah yeah and it's it's fascinating too to see that all of those planets so in the seventh house we have Uranus, Neptune, Mars, Saturn, and Venus in Capricorn. And all of them answer to Saturn, right? Because all of them are ruled by Capricorn. So it's like, what does it mean for Saturn to be so strong and powerful in that seventh house space? It's very interesting. It's a very, um, feels very powerful and a little bit like, I don't know. It's just it's it's just it's interesting because I think that whenever we have uh, malefics in the in the in a particular house, they they want to do something. You know, I I think malefics are quite strong and they can be really destructive if they are not given things to do, especially because Saturn is at home in Capricorn, and Mars is exalted. And it's almost like, yeah, of course, then, you know, now we have, like, we talk to each other about, like, these things. And we also have been talking about how in our collaboration, like, maybe what wants to happen is, like, having a Capricornian space, mm -hmm. you know, of, like, 
okay, we're going to schedule this. We're going to do this. We're going to like, we're going to do this. We're going to Capricorn this shit. <laughs> we're going to have, yeah. We, what do we decide? 12, 12 episodes in one year. 12 episodes in one year. Exactly. <laughs> Libra to Libra because seventh house ish. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, I lost what I was going to say, but it will come back. Oh, I know what I was also thinking about is how Mars and um, Neptune are conjunct, mm -hmm. which seems interesting. Mm -hmm. Totally. Is it conjunct in your chart? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm every, well, my chart is just, <laughs> I don't know what to say about the Capricorn thing of looking at my chart because it's uh I don't know what's conjunct because everything kind of feels conjunct uh it's not conjunct no. Neptune and Mars are not conjunct in your chart it's not conjunct in my chart either what's interesting is that in your chart right Mars is like in the early degrees of Capricorn mm -hmm. and in my chart it's in a very late degree it's actually over where Venus is in your chart. But it is interesting to notice how this configuration, except for Mercury in your chart, right? So you have um, Mars, Uranus, Neptune, Mercury, Saturn, and Venus in the, in the ninth house in your chart. And except for Mercury, we have, you have, we have exactly the same planets in Capricorn in, in our uh, composite chart. Yeah, and I have the Midheaven in Capricorn. And you have the Midheaven, which is huge. Um, What's our Midheaven? I Can think Aries. Which again, with Oh, Mars. no, Pisces. Oh, no, it's Pisces. Oh. Pisces in the oh, Look at us. I like that. I at like that At first I was like, okay, I guess we're more Marsy there. But no, we're no. just watery, mm. emotional, love letter writing people. Love letter writing people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also like Eternals too. I don't know. I, I have a deep soft spot for um, Ninth House Midheaven placements in general including yours, Mary, because I just love, and we've talked about sparkotypes before. And, oh, yes. You know, for those listening who don't know what sparkotypes <laughs> is, Google it. Um, but we're both mavens. And I mean, I can definitely see it in my chart being a Gemini moon in the midheaven. But I just love when people have their midheaven in the ninth house. It's so sweet. And so, like... Like, I just think we need more people with Midheavens on the ninth house and the 11th house, you know? Can you say more about what Midheaven is to you? Since yeah. you love it so much? Yeah, I mean, Midheaven, it, this is like a... I feel very conflicted about the Midheaven in general because I do feel like, in general, it's very visible in someone's chart. The Midheaven is just, like, exactly the noon point. Of, of someone's chart, right? So if you um, look at the sky when you were born and you just look up and you find a 12th noon point, essentially that's what the midheaven is. It, this is an oversimplification, but for the sake of like intuitive understanding, I think that's enough. And people can always, you know, go and mm -hmm. Google more if they need. But um, 
I, I think of the midheaven as like the place that is most visible in someone's chart, which is not always the same as the 10th house, right? Because the 10th house, you know, speaks to like our public contribution. The 10th house is like where we go into the, the uh, village or what do you call it? Like the town square and we like get up and we do the thing, right? Like whether doing the thing is like, you know, reading the, the library books that still need to be returned by the villagers, right? <laughs> or like the townhouse is like talking about like pest control or like something like that. But to me, the 10th the house is like where we step into like public service, mm. where we step into uh, where we then receive public recognition because we are serving the public in some way. Right. Mm -hmm. But the midheaven is different. I think the midheaven is more just like, what is like jetting out? You know, what is like jetting out from your like chart? That's like, hey, I'm the highest point here. You know, look at me, look at me. Right. So sometimes the highest point is like that public service thing. For a lot of people, people have their midheaven in the 10th house. But I've also seen this is using whole sign system. But I've seen, you know, midheavens in the ninth house. I've seen midheavens in the eleventh house too. And to me, midheaven in the ninth house people does have a little bit more of this like hermetic quality, or like midheaven in ninth house charts have more of this hermetic quality because there's like a humility avail available in the ninth house that is not always available in the tenth house. Because in the tenth house, I think there's pressure to serve. Whereas in the ninth house, it's like, I'm just going to learn the things. <laughs> I'm going to absorb. I'm going to observe, right? And in the eleventh house, it's the same thing. It's like, I'm going to tend to, to people. I'm going to ask people how they're doing without necessarily having to like step up on the stage. <laughs> Does that make sense? What would you add to that? Um, yeah, thinking about the ninth house, it's like, yes, it's about learning and broadening but i do i experience it anyway from from a perspective of wanting to observe like knowing that i'm just kind of like gathering information or collecting like it is it is kind of there's never there, there's never enough information, maybe, is how it feels. Whereas 10 and 11 seem more about apl application mm -hmm. of what you're learning. I love that. Yeah. Absolutely. And, yes. And, and so in the 10th, maybe it's a little bit more personal, but then as it moves into the 11th, that it's more about the community spaces mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. sort of being on a pedestal of some kind as an individual. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So I would say also that like, to me, the 11th house is often constellated based on what we do in the 10th house, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of the times because in the 11th house, it's like, it's not just any good old community, right? It's a community that's constellated through like shared hopes and dreams or i think that's how H howard Sasportas uh talked about it and so um yeah to me it's interesting to think about like 
how the application of the ninth house into 10th house and then reverberating into 11th house mm. you know it's kind of like a whole chain right mm -hmm. i mean the whole chart is a chain of mm -hmm. you know i don't know cause and effects or like karma or whatever you want to call it which is kind of a weird word but um yeah well and that there's a I think Britain has said, and I'm sure many other people, but that it's like met the the following house is like medicine for the one before it, mm -hmm. and that it offers a sort of um, response to the yeah. the one that came before. And then I guess after eleventh leading into twelfth, it's like bringing it into this space of like I don't know a more cosmic realm then what's the if the 11th house is like the scene collective oh 12th house seems more unseen and mm -hmm. that yeah energy but and which then of course leads back to the first being being the initiating of all of it again into that new cycle yeah exactly exactly i love how you talk about that um yeah, so we have our midheaven in the Pisces, in Pisces, which is interesting, in the ninth house. I like that because I always think about how you're you're seen as such a Pisces in you know along with Britain, but then the Virgo that comes out in in the, the your rising, but then to be like, oh, that's so sweet that somehow together you and I, there's. There's a bit of Pisces poking out, or however, how did you say it earlier that it's like jutting out? Yeah, it's jutting out. And I think it's super strong too, right? Because that Pisces midheaven is ruled by Jupiter in Cancer, which is exalted in the rising sign. So mm. I do think that that Pisces is extremely strong in our composite chart. Mm. That's sweet. Yeah. I love it. Um, what else is sticking out to you, Mary? Mm, so I'm wondering, because I always feel like, well, okay. So if second house for us is Leo, and doing something like this is a little bit Leo, yes. that you and I also both have experience as performers, and that that's kind of like what people first maybe initially think about with Leo, but there is also this like playful creativity that, that I like this is bringing up. I love that. And that I feel like you and I can't help but be that way when we're interacting too, that it's just like, let's just try this. I don't know. We'll just see what happens. <laughs> that like, I imagine if we were in real life, I'm like, I don't know what would happen if they were just like a bunch of musical instruments, like weird shit. Who knows? Like, this is just what we've ever done in discussion. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And it's interesting that in that second house, right, we have the south node in Leo. And that south node is, or the whole, the whole Leo chart, the whole second house, or the whole Leo house, is ruled by the sun in Aquarius in the eighth house for us. Mm. You know? which I think gives it a very specific flavor because yes, it is. I think there's an element of performing and also an element of like curbing it back, 
you know, mm. taking a look at the collective. And it's like this push and pull, right? If we think of the uh, North Node as the head of the dragon and the South Node as the tail of the dragon, right? One is consistently hungry and the other one is consistently releasing. Mm. It's like, what does that mean to be in that cycle of like second and eighth house things, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. definitely you know luminosity as a resource but also that that space of luminosity wants to be accessed in a very i wouldn't say peculiar but for me the experience of like sun in aquarius is extremely like diffuse you know it's like it's like the sun that's shy right mm-hmm. but doesn't mean that that sh- that sun is not you know, there was a comment yesterday. I think this was maybe one of our friends, Megan Fry, who said, uh, having lived in Mexico, her relationship with the sun is so different than when she lived in Michigan, because in Michigan, the sun was like a rare occurrence, right? So it's like adored and worshipped and like exploited, almost like put on a pedestal. Uh... And in Mexico, everyone's trying to avoid it, trying to get back into the AC, right? Because it's so fucking hot all the time. I come from a tropical country and I'm like, do not see what the fun is in being in that Leo space all the time. I do not want that. (laughs) I'm like, we need a little bit more dark people. We need to like hide under the covers. And, And I think there's something about like, what does it mean for the sun to be in exile in Aquarius, right? Because I have found that like, you know, when Aquarius suns or Aquarius sun people that I know are seen, it's usually through this, like their, through their beautiful ability to like show our humanity back to us. And then like, we love you, including you, Mary, so much more than like if you had just only been so focused on like yourself you know what I mean and I can see that that also becomes like a tripping up point for a lot of sun in Aquarius because it's almost then becoming this like I wouldn't say manipulative thing but it's like because you're so aware of like what other people are thinking and doing and and feeling that you get stuck in this constant questioning of like do I let myself shine or not or like how do I let myself shine right Mm -hmm. because I think there is a lot for me about letting it be okay you know if earlier when you and I were talking about your son in the seventh and my son is in the tenth my son in Aquarius having having the experience of being misunderstood and letting that be okay. Because I also want people to feel like they're getting their needs met, but it's not always possible for, like people aren't always gonna get what you're you're observing and that's okay. And also like, for me, it's like, when is the appropriate time to express to another person what I'm observing because it's something that um, can be really isolating feeling like am I am I wrong about this or is somebody just not like wanting to hear what I'm saying and then also like about like criticism too criticism is like a 
a really interesting experience for me. Like I, I don't, you know, because I'm critical like about, okay, say food. It's just like, it doesn't mean that I hated what I ate. It's just like, here's what I could do better. This is a thing that I would do next time. And then some people, any criticism, it just seems like, oh, well, you just must hate it. You had a miserable experience. And you're like, no, I just, I know what I want to do to improve it. Or like, I'm just paying attention to those details. But it doesn't mean that I hate my life <laughs> or that I dislike a person. Yes. I don't I know. know. That, yeah. Yeah. I, I love that you're sharing all of this, Mary, because I feel like especially like both in our composite chart as well as in your chart and in my chart, we have a, a you know, a pretty intense concentration of like Capricorn and Aquarius, both of them ruled by Saturn. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it's very difficult for people who don't have this language or this framework to notice where you're coming from. Like, is this Mary speaking from like her Capricorn self? Or like, is this Mary speaking from her... Aquarius self, because I think, you know, that idea of criticism and Saturn is very interesting because the, the Capricorn version of criticism is like, boohoo, this sucks. We should all die, right? We should all just die. And then the Aquarius is like, okay, we've descended into the underground and yet, right? Criticism will birth a new world. Yes, exactly. We have to talk about what is so we can talk about what's to come. Right, right. So it's like, it's a very different orientation. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes when we, I don't know, like relationality is always weird, right? Because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. are people, you know, this is something that you and I keep talking about. Like, are we ever talking about the same thing? Mm -hmm. Are we like, ever I'm just talking coming about at the it same from thing? my experience and I know they're listening, but do they know? And do I know? And I guess it's cool that you and I end up having a um, Mercury in Aquarius. Because then you and I can both like move into this more airy place. Whereas my Mercury and Capricorn can sometimes be a little too direct. Mm. Um and I think because your Mercury is not in, it's in Pisces, right? Is it? In Pisces, yeah. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought, because, duh. Um, <laughs> but um, just that it's nice that we get to, like, meet in this airy middle. Uh -huh. And be like, you know, we don't have to get too emotional. We don't have to get too forceful. We can just sort of breathe in this these questions and yeah. and, like, see where we land as we're floating in this. Absolutely. I think it's also significant that that Mercury is so close to the North Node and here yes. we are talking, you know? Yes. On top of that Mercury ruling the Moon, which is in Gemini in the 12th house, obviously. But but it's just really cool to me to, to feel into that Mercury being so close to the North Node mm -hmm. because I think there's something to that that has been very obvious from our time together. Mm -hmm. you know in, in kind of thinking about this project creating this project recording this project like we do use our words as a means to an end and you know something I will add about Aquarius too and especially with Sun and Aquarius is that something I've been thinking a lot about is how like when we talk about the Sun 
we often talk about it as if it's this like monolithic thing, like the sun as the heavenly body, which is true, right? But I think maybe this is something that like, was it Diana Rose Harper to talk about this and maybe one of the living systems guest teacher slot where like, there is like, I know it was amazing. There was like the sun, the orb, you know, and then there's like the heat, the ray of the sun that you feel on your skin, right? And Uh then the sun feeds the soil and then the soil feeds the vegetables. So then when you eat the salad, the vegetables, then the sun lives within you. You are a solar being, right? The life force that I now have from being able to talk to you, you know, came from my coffee. My coffee was receiving sun as its nutrition right so i am currently running on solar power so i think the way that i've been contextualizing sun in aquarius too is that you know with our composite chart having sun in aquarius in the eighth house it does encroach on this precarity of realizing that the solar quality also lives within the the mutable form, right? The ever-changing form. Mm -hmm. Like that, you know, when we're shining out, the sun is not just that heavenly sphere, but it's the force that is animating the life of the the being, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a really scary place to be. And I think, you know, like being aware of that and being aware of like how when you shine, you are going to be reflected and you are going to be igniting something in another being that you cannot control is a highly uncomfortable experience. Mm -hmm. And that it's in the eighth house, particularly, it's like, it has to be about other resources outside of ourselves. So it's funny that we, again, like meeting in this middle of, yeah, it's, very much about the other Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah the other and I think with the eighth house it's not just the other but it's like it's the other in relation to our entanglement to the other Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know which is much more complicated than the seventh house because the seventh house is just like what do you want what do you need you know how can we make it balanced right but the eighth house is like what are the ways that I am inextricably entangled with you and I can't get out of it. And you can't yeah. get out of it either. Like, it's definitely, a. it feels, it feels weightier in a sense of, like, well, I mean, having the North Node there, too, that it does feel on some level karmic that there's, like, because uh, this isn't one of the things, like, debts and, or, like, other people's, uh money finances stuff like that but of course i don't just mean money but it's like there's this uh i don't know how i'm trying to say this like it feels serious Mm -hmm. it feels really like intense in a in a way that like I don't know. I don't always want to be so on this plane, but you almost can't. It's well, you can't avoid it. It's not almost. You can't avoid it because we're in the human body, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that there are yeah. Like as much as we 
at times thinking about like I'm an individual and this is my individual experience, which is bullshit, but um, that there's no way you can have like your on the opposite end inner resources and the things that you that like kind of come naturally without then being in some sort of relationship with the things that come to you that you've inherited from others close to you. Totally, totally. And I think also, you know, with the eighth house son, it's also interesting because almost every single eighth house son person that I know are really expert at like holding space for people mm. in general, because I think it is about like holding that lamp in the underworld right like holding that lamp in like the really messy web of entanglement um and like what does it what does it look like if we bring illumination into that space and with mercury there too i think there's like a lot of facility in that space mm -hmm. yeah that it's like let's go into this cave and go find something we're not just gonna like peek in and be like looks dark it's like, all right, let's go there. Let's go there. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, even I feel like this is already reflected in our process a little bit because we were talking about like, is this project going to be like a Jonathan and Mary project or is this going to be like us stewarding the living systems mm -hmm. podcast, you know, which is very, it, all of it feels very eight house to me. Yeah. Like what is ours and what, because hmm. even saying what's ours, it implies that, you know, just because we know it's just Mary and Jonathan, even if you and I are the only ones who ever hear this discussion, there's still ways that our private discussion trickles out into the other people that we know. Totally. Like just 100%. the energy of it. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. But it's just like cute. Like it's cute in a way that we would just think, is it us? It's just us. Yes. Like, it's never just us. <laughs> it's never just us. It's never just us. Um, I'm curious, what do you make of that Pluto in the fifth house? How have you been feeling it? Hmm. Or have you been feeling it? In Scorpio, too. Yeah. Okay, can you, being, you know, in some situations, my teacher, give me your... <laughs> Because it's like, so fifth house is like creativity, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. and, I think of, yeah, go ahead. And, and like the ways that you, well, because I don't always know the distinction of like expressing yourself. There's like the third house ways of expressing yourself that are a mm -hmm. little more like private, right? Like in your self self whereas like this might be something that others see a little bit more yeah i would say that fifth house yeah probably i i tend to think of fifth house as rooted in how venus rejoices in the fifth house mm, which okay. i think then helps you derive more things out of that right which is why mm. like i'm which is why i'm obsessed about learning at least the basics of uh traditional astrology mm -hmm. even if i'm not like a full-blown hellenistic astrologer i think that it's really helpful to think about like oh fifth house 
first principle is the house where Venus rejoices, right? So what does Venus like to produce? Venus likes to have romance. Venus likes to have orgies. Venus likes to make children, right? Venus likes to eat a lot of really good food, Mm. enjoy a lot of really delicious art. So like, that's where I would categorize that as, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe part of, so to go back to your question, it feels like it is enjoyable to be doing this with you. Like my Venus and our shared Venus are very much like, this is a joyful experience of just like the, the pleasure of good company. Mm-hmm. And like, I imagine if we were in real life, like I would make you food or we would like go be like sitting on the beach or something even though you'll Uh, probably never, you know, leave the state of New York. But if you ever do... (laughs) You don't know that, Mary. You don't know that. I am very mutable. That's true. Um, In a year, you'd be like, Jonathan, stop coming here. (laughs) Get out of the state. Those people who are like, I'm never leaving. Oh, kind of liked the distance when I could keep you out of my house. No, um... (laughs) you've been here long enough (laughs) why are you still here but exactly okay laughter and that there's like this embodied sense like if venus is also about being in the body that's like it's not just um you know i find pleasure in learning or i find pleasure in doing other activities that are like yes while still being in a body but this feels like it's something that is a whole like your whole self is just very present in Mm -hmm. that's more more so i like that about the house of venus rejoices in yeah it's a good way of remembering it Mm -hmm. yeah and i feel like for me like i i see that pluto hanging out there where like I don't know, sometimes, you know, it's interesting because I've always kind of attributed this to your Scorpio 7th house, but I feel like sometimes, you know, a lot of Taurus risings that I know are very bad with people, (laughs) very bad slash good with people like withholding information from them. Because Uh, sometimes it's like, sometimes we're like, you know what, I don't think that's like appropriate or like there are other people involved in the situation that maybe maybe I just won't tell Mary. You know, or like maybe it's not really in, it's not really appropriate for us to be talking about this. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, it's not really the right container for us to be talking about this. And I think what I found is that like Scorp- Scorpio and Seventh House people are just really bad at responding to that. Like let really bad, bad at letting at, that be. Yeah, bad because, at bad at because <laughs> I think that like I can sense that the I can sense the frustration because it's almost like you see something there. You know, and it's like, you can't help but like start to like scratch at the itch. You know? Yes. And then how often is it? Maybe it means I should respect your boundaries or it means I should say, trust me. You can trust me with the deepest thing that you think I can't handle. Because it is a reflection of That's the thing, though, I don't Mary. think it's true. But yeah. that's, 
I don't think that's true. I don't think you think you can't handle it. I think you're saying it's like inappropriate or like mm-hmm. it's just not relevant or like mm-hmm. we don't need to go there because it's personal for somebody else. Yeah. But like all that I hear is like, you can't handle this intense experience. <laughs> and I'm like, let me prove it to you. <laughs> And maybe something about us having Pluto there is like we can't help but be transformed through this exchange. Yes. Yes. And I do find that like when we do bring it up, you know, regardless of whether we should make that public or not, it's a different story altogether. Mm -hmm. But or like whether we should make that public or not is a different story altogether. But I do think that like going down into the underworld has been really exciting with mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And I, I I don't know. I mean, who knows what the rest of this podcast is going to be. But, you know, we have, I think, been, or we, we have been discussing about, like, talking about things like coloniality, which is not exactly the most, I don't know. It's, it's not the most love and light thing to be talk, talking about, you know? There are other topics that are much more love and light. Well, we are love and light. We're just in the, you know, the hidden houses. So what did they want exactly. from us? If mm. they wanted love and light in comfy ways, it, <laughs> it wouldn't have come through 8th and 12th. Totally. Totally. Yes. 100%. Whoever they are. Whoever they are. Yeah. Yeah. But, but about like going into the underworld together. I think I've always felt like I could do that with you and that it was never a question of if either of us could hold space for the other. Not that I, yeah, I don't, it just felt very natural to like, I, it was just like immediately I was Mm -hmm. like, here, yeah, let's just go there. (laughs) (laughs) I love that I feel like we can probably talk about this all day long but I in the interest of time and capacity I would love to maybe like end on our moon in Gemini in Mm -hmm. the 12th house Mm -hmm. also you know I just I just want to say before we go there how I love looking at this because it's like our charts individually are very similar Mary in many ways and it's so interesting to see like what's shifting in relation to like my chart, mm-hmm. you know, like how you are a sun in Aquarius and our composite chart is a sun in Aquarius, you know, but that you are um, a Mercury in Capricorn and I'm a Mercury in Pisces and then now it's meeting in Aquarius, yes. you know, and then like how uh, just how my moon concedes or my sun concedes to your sun your moon concedes to my moon yes you know yes. like now we ended up having like a gemini moon together and i think that's kind of i don't know that there's something really sweet about that mm-hmm. it's like oh we get into much more like moon and gemini place in the 12th house mm-hmm. yeah, may- yeah maybe because we talked about um my aquarius sun i'm curious about your gemini experience moon. as a gemini moon yeah mm-hmm. Mm. And like, how do you see it it come out in in our collaborative spirit, if you will? Yeah, yeah. I feel like for me being a Gemini moon, 
emotions are a very indirect experience. Like, you know, thinking about Gemini, Gemini is always, uh, you know, I think of Gemini as like that environment where um, like small insects live, right? Like Gemini is very like, pollinators are associated with Gemini, the hands are related with Gemini, words and knowledge and um, vicarious as well as uh, vigorous search for like new information and new sensations are all associated with Gemini. So I've been really feeling about, I, I think with regards to my Gemini moon, part of my lived experience is that when I have a good enough system to kind of digest through my emotions, right, or process my inner world, emotions don't, when I'm in a healthy place, emotions don't come to me as like this, these huge waves. Uh. They're very sensation-based and they're very subtle and they're very conceptual too oftentimes. It's almost like these random pieces of information that sometimes you are like sitting in meditation and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm thinking about that time when I was in seventh grade and I picked up that rock, you know, which it's a very specific, weird memory, you know, which like, how is that relevant? But I think in the Gemini moon world is highly relevant because mm. I think Gemini moon understands that the emotional body is actually not this big monolithic thing, right? That rather it's a function of various smaller components and i think the gemini moon is much more attuned to the smaller components and then once it has the opportunity to like flit about you know explore these different little neighborhoods then it can see the bigger picture so i found that with my gemini moon it's almost like there's this need to explore things in almost an erratic way in a very localized way and in a random way because all of that eventually helps me see the bigger picture. And sometimes, you know, the challenge that I see with having a Gemini moon as a human being is that that's not how a lot of people like to think because people like to think in order because otherwise it confuses them. But I get confused and obstructed if I have to think in order. Yeah. What you're saying, well, especially going back to the idea of pollinators, it's like you have to gather, I mean, if we're thinking about like honeybees or something, it's like going around and gathering so that honey can eventually be made, but you don't just like get honey. You kind of have to go through all of the sources. Totally. And that, you know, you and I were very much like you, you have all of the classes that you do, I have the classes that I do, the things that we're reading, the podcasts we're listening to, and that we're not always gonna know, like we couldn't, we couldn't just be like, this is the system that we will go through, next we will explore this. It's like, yeah. that is not how we're gonna be. It's gonna be like, like you were saying about making sense of an emotion, it's like, huh, I kinda have to like flit about here and go there and lounge there and then eventually it all like the pieces come together exactly but it it's like filtering through this um this experience of gathering information and then eventually it gets distilled mm -hmm. but it's not even it's not so concentrated like that as it is just like yeah, it feels really, uh, 
like web. Yeah, I don't know. The totally, totally. I think there's something about Gemini Moon that is very aware of the nonlinear path mm -hmm. and how how valuable it is to walk the nonlinear path. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, from walking the nonlinear path, okay. So, so something that I've been thinking about with my Gemini Moon is how actually it's tapped into a particular truth about knowledge that, you know, prior to like knowledge being codified in like the written word and then treated the written word being treated as like this thing that you can always refer to like this solar truth that knowledge was always passed on as like a lived embodied thing, you know, One. and transferred. Yes. One sec. So sorry. Hi. Okay, no, I didn't, but I'm sorry okay. about that. We're back on. <laughs> okay. Um, can you? Yes. Okay. Where was I? Let me just write. write about it the truth about knowledge and the value of the nonlinear path. Yes. So to me, something that our written word culture and, and the way that we have been processing knowledge through the written word has done to us it's, is that it's created this false idea that knowledge is not a life, right? Mm -hmm. That knowledge is this thing that you go to and you extract from it and then you can come out and knowledge is immutable, knowledge is solid, knowledge never changes, right? Yeah. When in reality, when you look at like the larger history of human civilization, I don't even know, like human, 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 his, her, them story, right? What we've seen is that this new way of treating knowledge is actually very new. It's only like the past like 600,000 years or so. And then the rest of the human, uh, way of being have been passing knowledge through through embodied ways of being through mm -hmm. words through energy right that's how you pass knowledge on mm -hmm. which was why in uh, ancient cultures elders are very important right because we need their knowledge to be passed down to us yeah. so we can pass it down to the next generation but now that we have the written word it's like they become obsolete which is it's another story another point altogether but i think what Gemini moon, what moon in Gemini inherently understands is that knowledge is not fixed. You know? Yeah. And care is not fixed. And, and there's something about what does it mean to intellectually nourish ourselves? <laughs> Verbally nourish ourselves mentally nourish ourselves because i think that that actually is available too because sometimes we i don't know in spiritual circles we talk about like intellectual use or like using our intellect as like a bad thing that we need to like kind of detach from or something like that and i really disagree with that actually it's not that i even dislike it i really disagree with that because i think the mind only becomes problematic 
because it's been conditioned a certain way. But I think we can recondition the mind and we can change how we think. And that can be a nourishment in and of itself. Yeah. So much of what you're saying, it's like this flexibility of experience that says there there isn't one right way. Yeah. And that Gemini, and I guess also like with Aquarius too, being these air signs that are like free to explore a little bit more than some of the other, like, this is the way to go and want to, you know, <laughs> that there's like, um, other people have said this is the right way, but maybe that Gemini is more comfortable just seeing where the wind takes them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. How do you feel, Mary? I feel pretty good. I feel like um, it's something that it's it's nice to think about, like what we say about it now, and then I'm very curious about, like, in a year from now, what what we'll be saying about ourselves or what you know, seems relevant when we look at it now and then in the ways that it it always happens when you're familiar with a chart, like your own chart and you, you don't notice something for a time. And then sometimes it just hits you like, how did I not notice this very significant part of my chart? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's also the thing about like chart reading, right? The chart is alive too. Mm-hmm. because not because the chart is inherently alive although maybe it is but i tend to feel that there are relationship with the chart is alive that's maybe a more accurate yeah. way to talk about it because it's not just like it's not just the chart telling you what's going on but it's in the relationship that you have with the chart which is so funny you had brought up this like idea of like apps like the pattern or even apps like Chani Nicholas's app Mm -hmm. people are gonna hate me for doing this but I feel like if people are listening this far (laughs) they can handle this but I'm like I really don't like apps because I feel that and I understand that they're Trojan horses I, I get that and I'm all for Trojan horsing in this world And also, like, sometimes I feel like, are we, do we have the tools to really discern our ability to listen to that part of us, tend to that part of us that wants to be told what we're supposed to be going through at this moment? Oh, totally. Yeah. And like, why can't we self-generate? What is... (laughs) what is our attachment and where are we hooked to trusting in this external oracle? I totally agree with you, but I will say for people who can't just stomach the thought of shelling out hundreds of dollars for a wise reader, maybe they just want to see if the shit's resonant or not. Oh yeah, totally. I also, I mean, I totally agree with you because sometimes 
and I don't always look at these apps like CoStar and the pattern or things like that. Um, but when I do, sometimes it feels like I just don't want to think about that right now. And also like not even that they don't have a point sometimes, but you're like, no, I'm not just going to end my relationship because you say that like, if I don't have this in my partnership, that my life is going to be unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or I'm not going to get a new job. Well, maybe I should, but you know, sorry, Lauren, if you're listening, <laughs> she's not listening. <laughs> but um, yeah, that that seems like a whole different discussion, though. Like, yeah. why why do we need somebody to tell us who and what we are? Because mm-hmm. we don't have a lot of practice with that. Yeah, and I I don't inherently have a problem with that. I, I mean. If you you know me, Mary, and you know how much I spend on um, getting readings and getting coachings from people, and it's actually like kind of maybe to my what, whatever. We don't have to talk about that. Really, but, you can't have children. You spend too much. <laughs> I have an inner child to tend to. Excuse me. Exactly. Excuse me. <laughs> Do I look like I have space for real children? Anyway. <laughs> Oh like boy! It's evolving quickly. Um, <laughs> this is changing into another, another podcast episode. Um, but what I, what I will say is that I love having people reflect me back to me, and I think where I am sometimes, and you know, I know it's not my responsibility. So who gives a fuck about what I say, right? Like you know, we live in a hot take culture. You know, this this means nothing. You know, this doesn't have to mean anything if anyone's listening to this part of the conversation but I think for what it's worth something I'm and and maybe this is something I should share as an offering like a free offering or something like that I think there's just not enough resources out there around like how 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 does one receive readings whether that's you know an actual reading from another human being or like a reading from an app written by a human being right or generated by some semblance of like a human intelligence because who who knows i don't even know i think what makes me so uncomfortable about the pattern is i don't know where they're basing it on and i don't like that i really yeah. don't like that i, I my uh saturn and capricorn mars and capricorn is like big boundary on that because i'm i'm like I, I just find myself like going down the rabbit hole in my brain trying to figure out why they say what they said i don't like that but that's just me I, I'm not saying. No, I totally agree. This is just my own personal view. I haven't really uh, fucked around a lot with Chani's app, but I trust Chani and I love Chani, so I I trust that it's good. But I don't really do apps, so. But there, there is a way with apps that it there's no way for it to really be that personal. No matter how much you see about somebody's placements, you you aren't interacting with the energy of a person and you're not connecting with them in that seventh house way, you know, it's like, because we're so, we're so compartmentalized to like sum somebody up by these placements or to sum up our friendship with these placements. (laughs) It's like nobody, 
it, yeah, like how do you go into that with a grain of salt and then also receive something of value and substance and not that it can't be helpful, but you really have to have pretty good discernment to know what's landing for you and what's not. And then if you think that something's not right for you or that it doesn't feel good, that you don't have to listen to it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've even had this thing where I realize or I, I started to acknowledge that I have discomfort around like taking classes with people that I don't have like deep personal relationships with. Yeah. And that's not to say that I am not open to to building that relationship because I am. But I think, you know, I'm, think, I'm thinking more about like, you know, those like self-paced courses. Because even for example, I love, love, love Lindsay Mack. And Lindsay Mack's courses in the past, I've taken it with live components and there have been, okay, I'm, I'm starting to see myself like completely getting out of the neighborhood of what we're actually talking about here. Yeah, I was gonna say, so, I mean, it's also fine. We can just- Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap it up. But I think what I will say is that it's interesting that with certain courses, where I don't know the people, it is actually a lot harder for me to clear the projections mm -hmm. because there are projections. Yeah. I feel know? like that about La Mirade for sure. Yeah. Or like classes that are too big. <laughs> yeah. That there are a lot of things that I'm like, I do feel connected to this community and I have friends that, you know, I see regularly when I'm in those courses, but I don't have the relationships I have with those people that I do in classes with you in Britain or Leah, that there's there's a part of me that like wants it to be real <laughs> and that I have a real relationship, but it there's like yeah, it's just not like a substitute for actual relationship. It's not, yeah. And I think all of this is actually related to that Gemini moon, Mary, in some sort of circ circuitous we're just, we're way. We just dispersed and we're coming back. We're coming back. I do think it's very related because part of, to me, having the moon in the 12th house, or at least how I'm interpreting it in our composite chart, is like the ability to care for oneself, care for one's vessel, yeah, that's exactly it. Care for one's vessel as like a conduit for like receiving information that comes from like the beyond, you know? Mm. And what does, what do the boundaries actually look like? Because like, if you consider yourself as a vessel, right? The 12th house relating to like things that are unseen, unknowable, right? Too numinous to like reduce into words. If we are connected to that realm, what are the boundaries that we need? And how do we reconcile that with the fact that we are in, like, a human body? Yeah. yeah. It turns out we really did land back with the thing that we started with. And that's so perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, though. Exactly. Because having it in the 12th house is, like, it can feel kind of, I don't even want to say this, but this is like dangerous mm -hmm. to go there mm -hmm. and because it is this like uh more private self it 
it's reminding me of earlier when I was saying the thing about like going up to a cave and then being like, oh, it's okay. I do know my way out. It's like, there's like a string that you have that you know you'll always find your way back, but that you have to like develop that trust to be able to tend yourself in, in going there. Like you were saying about the vessel. Like how do we, how do we caretake ourselves in, in letting us go deep? Yeah. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Cultivating that ability to get out of the depths, I think mm -hmm. is, yeah, maybe it might show up too in this series of conversations yeah i like where this went this was good we, we reined it in we reined it in <laughs> thank you saturn <laughs> thank you saturn any final thoughts mary that you want to share um, i feel pretty good how about you very good too yeah i feel complete yeah mm -hmm. cool. thank you jonathan thank you mary always lovely pleasure my fifth house feels very pleasured <laughs>